to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, crisis management, COVID, anything that's relatable to those subjects and anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If there's a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free, send me an email. Uh, You can do that on the Voice America page for the radio show. There's a button underneath the graphic. Uh, I do respond to all emails. And if you're watching the video, there's a link to my LinkedIn profile. You can uh, reach out to me that way with any questions or topics. And we'll see about you getting uh, your topic on the show or getting you on the show. Uh, If you'd like to promote any uh, product or service, you can reach me the same way. I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road for sponsoring today's show and allowing us to film and record uh, today's episode and their product, boastassessment.com, that allows you to uh, track your business continuity management programs and align your resources uh, appropriately as you build your program. Today, I would like to welcome back someone who uh, I talked to actually not that long ago. Uh, So I'd like to have uh, a big welcome uh, back to the show. Scott Hotchkiss. Scott, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Now, uh, just in case there are people who didn't listen to the last episode, you know, there might be a couple, but uh, just in case, can you give us a quick bio about yourself, what you do, and, you know, how you got to where you are today? Well, right now, I'm essentially raw on intents and purposes retired, um, freelance consulting. Um, I've worked in the IT industry as a consultant in, in security and business continuity, crisis management. I started my life for you know, 30 odd years, a little bit longer. started my life um, as an application programmer. Um, I've worked for most of the big names uh, in the IT industry. And I currently live in France, um, where I was working in Switzerland. I spent a lot of time in Belgium and a lot of time in the UK, obviously, since I'm English or not. So, yeah, um, I've written a book on business continuity planning. I'm currently writing a book on crisis management in practice. But um, it's, uh, it, it's causing me a bit of a problem because what I've written down, which I think is essential in the subject, is pretty short. It's only 25 pages. And uh, that's not really enough for a book. But I think it, it illustrates the point which I would like to make, which is that you can make this subject very, very complicated and write long books, so you can write short books. And uh, I definitely believe in doing things in a simple way, the short way, if possible. And crisis management tends to suffer from people making the subject more complicated than it need be and getting themselves in a mess as a result. We'll talk about that in a minute. And I just want to make mention of your book. It's uh, titled Business Continuity Management in Practice, which is actually what we spoke about the last time. That's right. right. Today, and you already touched on it, we are going to be talking about uh, crisis management. So let's jump straight into it and get to the point. How do you define a crisis? What's the definition of crisis management? Um, if, if you had to try and define one, you'd start to look for characteristics. So, um, so I'm not going to say, you know, COVID is a crisis. I'm not going to say that a, a flood is a crisis and so on and so forth. You can't, you can't actually say that an individual event is a crisis. It becomes a crisis by its characteristics. Is it uh, something which will potentially impact your organization in more than one place? Um, will its impact be extended? Will the impact potentially become fatal for you and your organization? And so on. So 
There are a lot of things that people say are crises which are not crises. Now, I can give you a classic example of this. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people would say that Ebola was a crisis. Okay? Mm -hmm. Not you, it's not. It wasn't. It wasn't a medical crisis, at least. Because if you look at the number of deaths from Ebola, in comparison with the number of deaths per year from other diseases like flu and COVID, um, amongst other things, it was by no means a crisis in terms of uh, numbers. Okay, A lot of people said it was. Uh, it was badly managed for lots of reasons which we can go into, but it was not, ne not really a crisis. It didn't impact very many people. I know it's bad for the people who were impacted, sure, but in terms of raw numbers, it didn't impact that many. It didn't, um, it didn't devastate the countries to the point that the countries no longer existed, which could happen with the company. Um, so, for example, if we relate this to, to the way a company performs, if you had a product quality problem, your company could go out of business. Okay? The, the reputational dam damage could be the people would stop buying from you. So that that is something which ever which you really need to take care of. It could easily become a crisis, which could eliminate your company from the market. Whereas if your head office burnt down and uh, you had no access to that site and 3,000 people couldn't get to work, is that a crisis? Um, it's, it's certainly a big event. Um, it's certainly difficult to manage. Um, it's not necessarily a crisis because it may not impact uh, your, your, your performance as a company. Um, so very, you know, to define a crisis in terms of things that people recognize is extremely dangerous. But I think that the important thing to remember is what you think is a crisis and what I think is a crisis um, can be two totally different things. Um, does it, people, does it really need to... Uh, a crisis is something that could uh, either put you out of business or puts you in some sort of uh, jeopardy? That would be a better way to define it for certain. But I think that the important thing is that the people who are running the organization need to sit around the table and say, what do we think is a crisis? Because when we define what is a crisis to us, that has certain implications. The first implication being that we're going to have to manage it in a different way. So if you're head of finance, right, in a crisis, yeah, you have a financial hat, but you're a member of the crisis management team and your role has suddenly changed, right? So, so the traditional management structure of a company or an organization during a crisis by definition disappears. So you, you now form a team with other people and your joint task is to manage that crisis as a team. So you can't sort of come into the team and say, oh, well, yeah, I'm the finance guy, so don't ask me any hard questions or ask me to make decisions in other areas. You are part of now a crisis management team. And a crisis, when we sit down and define what a crisis is for us, we have to say, well, is it so important to us that we're going to have to override the company organization, because that's one of the very first things you need to do. You, you cannot exist in little silos, as, as companies tend to, for good reason. Uh, when a crisis comes along, it's everybody's in the same boat. So what sorts of things are we going to actually say merits such a, a radical change in behavior for us? And we can come up with a certain number of events. We say, well, if this happens or if this happens, and in practice, what you really need to do to manage a crisis is not actually define what a crisis is. You need to define the structure that you would put in place to handle a crisis if you had one. So you put in place a crisis management team. You put in an escalation path where people can bring events to somebody who says, well, yeah, this is so important, we have to go to the team. Um, you bring in a certain number of guidelines and you bring in, obviously, things like checklists, things that you might want to check before, after, or during a crisis. And you put all of that in place, and you wait for something to happen. And one day, somebody will say, this is this could really cause us a problem. We have got um, hundreds of customers completely dissatisfied, whether it be in trading customers or just people who are getting service from a government department. 
Um, this could cause us irreparable damage, and it may be something that we will not get under control unless we actually take centralized control of it. Because we're that, all that's an interesting point right there, yeah. where, where you said getting getting it under control. Because um, having you know, many of us having worked for different organizations, we have daily incidents or interruptions. So, uh, are you saying that the a crisis actually um, is where we don't some of the processes we have in place to deal with those daily interruptions uh, can't be or aren't dealt with properly and need to be dealt with? Um, at a higher level or bring more people in, you know, um, that the, the impact may not be known because of this interruption. Like it's taking us beyond our normal uh, business as usual responses. It's a good definition. And let me just come back to one, one point you mentioned. If you, if you look at an incident, very, very often an incident is, is manageable by one part of the organization. We have, delivery problem okay well it's it's the, it's the delivery organization we have a, a severe financial problem we have a um, um, a warehouse is burnt or an office is burnt down or is, is affected by weather or some such thing it's, it's one organization sub organization that will deal with that um, when something is goes beyond one, more than one internal organization sub organization, you can start to think, well, this is this is not a classic incident that can be handled by standard management knowledge and procedures. And I think that's that's an important thing. It's if, 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 if I were running part of the organization, there are certain things I won't be allowed to do because it's outside my sub-organization. And as soon as you start seeing that, you start to think, well, maybe we need a we need a multidisciplinarian team to handle this event because it's going to be beyond an individual sub-organization. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to have to make some radical decisions, um, which I have to make quickly. You know, I, I can't sort of say, oh, I think the way to fix this is to do the following and I'll have to go to the finance guy to get some money. No, you've got like 30 minutes. You don't have three weeks. So, there are, there are things which indicate that you, you potentially could get out of control and need to special, special things. One, one of the problems I have about crisis management is that people always tend to define it in terms of um, dramatic events, you know, flooding and tornadoes and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's completely beyond me that in countries where you get tornadoes 10 times a year, why every single one's a crisis. Well, what's the difference then between crisis and disaster? If, if organizations are doing that, there's got to be a difference between the two. That's just, just, that's just a word that people, it's, it's almost as though, you know, once they've used the word a few years, it gets out of fashion, so let's have a new one. What is the difference between a crisis and a disaster? To me, they're the same word. I don't, I don't, see, I don't see any noticeable difference between a disaster and a crisis. Um, you could argue that it's a crisis could turn into a disaster, but I don't. I don't even know what disaster means, and and, and I I don't like the word disaster because it's too emotive, and mm-hmm. it's almost as though well things are now out of our control, so they sit back and watch. You no know, crisis is something you can manage, just like the supposed disaster is something you can manage, but uh, I wouldn't differentiate between the two terms personally. Okay. <laughs> Now you also mentioned, uh, you know, the crisis management team. So, when, who is a part of that team, and how do they become members of of this uh, CMT? How are they defined? Normally, when you do to build up a CMT, you have a leader, and the the CMT leader will have somebody who is we often call them um, um, a coordinator, somebody who will help him get things together. He should normally be sensible enough if he's a leader of the company to recognize that he needs the leader of every functional area. He needs his finance guy, he needs his salespeople, he needs that sales guy, he needs his marketing guy, he needs his communications, HR, facilities, security, etc. etc. All of those sub functions need to be represented on the team. Because if they're not, 
can't possibly make make decisions. But there's one important thing that the people need to understand is that once they're in this crisis management team, they're a member of the team first and functional managers second, right? Mm. Everybody in that, and that's that's something which is very difficult sometimes for, for functional managers to understand that their role has changed and that the CMT is a new organization which supplants the organization of the company or the organization to, to date for the duration of the management of the crisis. Uh, doing, uh, allowing people to continue to only have their functional um, responsibility and reneging the responsibility to manage as a team is a big mistake. And the, you know, it, this is up to the, the, the manager of the CMT to fix. There's no, there's no magic formula. You've just got to say, you're now a member of the CMT. And the CMT makes decisions together. You are part of the decision-making process. Full stop. You have an expertise, yes, but you're part of the team. And that in itself is, is, is one of the first lessons that, that, you, that you need to, to manage, to get in place to manage crisis. Now, I go back to Ebola. Um, the Ebola situation suffered from, from, from lots of problems, like we can almost see in some countries with COVID today. Um, is the routine where all the team members are pulling in the same direction? Was the routine with Ebola? The answer no, it wasn't. It was the UN saying what should happen. It was some countries saying that we agree and some countries saying well, maybe. Um, within the country, there was no um, management um, capability. In other words, nobody was able to say you will do this or you won't do that. So everybody did both at, a, at, a, at an international and a local level what they thought was the right thing to do. There was no leadership, right? If there had been leadership, but of course, it's a big problem with those, an organization like the United Nations trying to manage multiple countries and tell them what to do. It's exactly the same situation as we have with COVID today, where the WHO, for lots of reasons, cannot, has not, and will never be able to dictate and have a a, a CMT, if you like, run by the WHO, of which the members are in each individual country. Have a situation where each country does a different thing. That would be huge. And, and in the countries as well, we've got the problem that, you know, different organizations in the countries do different things. And um, you see varying results country by country as a consequence. So there's no real um, synchronization of, of efforts. Um, and this is the thing that makes these crises worse and it makes a crisis worse in the company if you can't get a CMT that says we make the law and that's the end of it and so, on that note we've come to the end of our first segment we're talking with Scott ha <clears throat> sorry, sorry <laughs> Stuart Hodgkiss I don't know why I said Scott early in the morning here what is called Scott right <laughs> Stuart Hotchkiss, author of Business Continuity Management in Practice. And today we're talking about crisis management. We'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. 
Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for The Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Stuart Hotchkiss about crisis management. Stuart, you had a lot of information uh, in the first segment uh, we did here. Uh, now I, I'd like to uh, talk about you know crisis management policy. How do you go about creating a policy? Uh, you know, and who's involved with that, and with the crisis management team to take uh, what you were saying in the first uh, segment a step farther. What are some of the roles and responsibilities of people that are on these teams that get assigned to to be a part of these teams? Right. Well, let, let, let's talk about policy. Policy first. Firstly, the policy should be simple and short. If it's long. Uh, it'll never work, never be understood. Um, when you write a policy, you certainly never, ever, or should never, ever, but most people always do, use words like ought and should and guideline and could. Eliminate all those words for a start. You know, a policy has to be a clear, simple statement of what we're going to do. And normally a policy should state in certain circumstances, which we will define as a crisis, the company will behave in the following way. We will assign a crisis management team. The crisis management team will make um, decisions um, on behalf of all function um, areas. All function areas will be involved in the crisis management team. You should have a scope statement that says, you know, it applies to everybody. To, usually it applies to everybody. Um, you should have an applicability statement which um, basically should say you know, who, who it applies to and how it should be applied. And that's it. Make it very, very simple. It's, but you're making people aware in advance. And when I say people, it's not just your employees. It's also your, your customers. Right? The customer needs to know, for example, that in the situation of a crisis, the company who serves you will behave in the following way. It may ask you information. It may it may do certain things. For example, um, our Amazon, I might say my crisis management policy, which I send to all customers, says, in the event of a crisis, and this sounds really simple, our deliveries may be delayed by up to two days. For example, there are certain things that you can predict that will happen. Um, you may want to say that in the event of a crisis uh, involving certain parts of our organization which are out of our control, certain things we currently do, we won't do. So we don't do support or we won't do manufacturing of certain products or whatever. Um, all you have to do with the idea of a policy is to state in advance the expectations in terms of behavior which is why generally you should say in a policy, we don't give people choices. You know, we could do this, we should do that. The guideline is, no, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. You, you say what we will do, what we will not do. And uh, you make sure that everybody knows that if it applies to them, they get a copy of it. And that normally it should apply to everybody anyway. So the, 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 keep it simple. Right? You, get, you get rid of those... You get rid of that gray area. Yeah. Where, where, where people start questioning, okay, well, you know, it causes confusion. Yeah. We're interested in your feedback, but quite frankly, no, we're not. You know, we, you, you will do as you're told during a crisis, and the decisions about what we as a company will do will be taken by the CMT, of course not. Right? Um, you could also put in the policy that um, 
the policy is that we have not defined in detail what crises are. This is the name of the coordinator in your area. If you think something's important, contact him and he'll tell you if we're going to have a CMT or not. Right? So it's got to be clear, it's got to be simple, and it's got to be straightforward. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be. But if you look at a lot of um, policy documents and guidance documents, or any of the word guidance is particular, and, and we tend we tend to use it far too much. It should, I, I, I don't see any, any use for the word guidance in, in, in anything, right? We have guidance in building practice, for example. Why? Nobody knows. And the result is people do what they want. Guidance means I'll do what I like and I'll justify it afterwards. That's not good. Um, so that, the policy needs to be clear, crisp, simple, and people don't need to know what it implies to them. And when it comes to roles and responsibilities, you could put that in the policy. You could say there is a roles and responsibilities document, and you wouldn't put that in the policy because the policy needs to be short enough that it can be almost advertised. You know, it should mm. be should be somewhere where people know this is the policy. This is what happens, and you can say in your policy we have a roles and responsibility documents which you can, which you can find here, and it'll say what the roles and responsibilities are of everybody. Um, and there's no there's no magic to that. You know, you say that uh, facilities management will be part of the CMT. Facilities management management will control and coordinate everything to do with facilities. Any issue with facilities must be raised to them, and so on and so forth. Same with HR. Same with legal. Same with business unit managers. For example, in business unit managers, you're going to say to these guys, "You're responsible for the relationship with customers." Um, Okay. Um, however, one very important thing that you need to make sure that you put in there, and we have seen thousands of examples of this not being done in the COVID situation, is that you need to make sure that in your roles and responsibilities that it's crystal clear who talks to who and who talks outside the company, and that's communications. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you want to do the job properly, people who break the communication rule should be sacked. You know, your communication says that every piece of information that comes out of this organization to an external body goes through the communications department. Full stop. Now, you know, we, we have you you watch the, the you watch media like I watch media, you read the press. We've seen in COVID that you'll get one minister will stand up and say one thing, and two two hours later, sometimes two minutes later, another minister stands up and contradicts him. Yeah, right? It's here in, in Canada too. <laughs> and we all the time. Um, you can't have that because, uh, you know, Ischelis, I think, in 486, uh, you know, in the first casualty of war, war is the truth. And as soon as, um, especially with what appears to be a trend with the media these days, as soon as um, bad rumour starts, deliberately or otherwise, deliberately there's not much you can do about it, but you can certainly make sure that what you say from in terms of your company to your customers, to your, all of your stakeholders, to all of the resources you use, comes from one source and everybody else keeps their mouth shut. That actually helps a great deal in the management of the crisis. Because for a simple reason, you you don't spend management and CMT time repairing the damage from somebody saying something that they shouldn't have said. And you have to now spend a lot of time stroking people, correcting things. And once the day, you know, once the genie's out of the bottle, you've had it. You can't get it back in. So the roles and responsibilities, the very first thing you can say is from now on. The only person who speaks outside from the CMT and the employees is the following person, following function. And it would actually be a pretty good idea to put in the policy that anybody who does not obey that loses their job. Well, a lot of companies already have that, right? You know, you you can't represent your the organization without... um, you know, proper authority or prior approval or something like that. So it, it should be applicable in a crisis situation if it's already applicable, you know, on a daily basis. 
Well, it is already applicable, and some companies, as you say, do have that in, in their policy. But we all know it, it, it's, it's ignored. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? And in a crisis, the worst thing is that let's, let's suppose we've got uh, somebody who's in, in a stressful situation trying to deal with something, and he badgered my 15 reporters. Mm-hmm. to say something wrong. And the reporters are going to exaggerate that, and in no time, um, and your competition is going to take advantage of that and so on. It's a very, very, very difficult thing to manage, uh, and especially in a crisis where things are moving quickly. And you see it all the time. People say things, and afterwards they say, you know, they, they made a mistake, or as our American friends say, they misspoke. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, it's very, very important. Because um, I say, you're saving resources of your own by not having to manage the mess. I do have a question about um, roles and responsibilities uh, with, with regards to the CMT and people's daily responsibilities. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, when a crisis management team gets activated that people really shouldn't be, or should be uh, depending right. on your opinion, assigned responsibilities that they don't already have, you know, why, why would I working in marketing all of a sudden be responsible to talk to facilities, you know, uh, and property management, you know, don't assign me things that I don't already do, you know, cause I've seen that in crisis management teams, they throw all these people together and they're assigned responsibilities that they don't do on a daily basis. So they're okay. kind of floundering. I see what you mean. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, uh, I, it's a good point. I think it would be dangerous to say to somebody in facilities, for example, you are now responsible for um, human resources as well, or all security or something like that. No, I think people think they should maintain their current roles. The only thing that they need to understand is that if they're part of the CMC, they are sharing the joint responsibility making making decisions. To put somebody in a role that they can't handle is, is just silly. And this, this, now we're talking about leadership. What does what the CMT manager want? Um, and it's up to him to choose the right roles and responsibilities for people in his team. I think the only thing that you need to be sure of is don't exclude anybody. Mm. Don't have 500 people in the CMT because decisions have got to be made quickly. But on the other hand, um, don't exclude anybody. Don't say, for example, we don't need anybody from marketing on the CMT. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, or we don't need anybody from HR because, you know, this has nothing to do with it. Yes, you do. You need somebody from every functional area in the company. And I guess it's easier for those groups, too, to turn around and say, based on this situation, you just need to keep me in the loop. I don't really have any activity to play. Let them make that decision rather than forget them altogether and have a big problem suddenly occur. Yeah, but there will be on the team. I mean, let's, you know, Marketing, HR, sales, finance, these people are all part of the CMT. But they're going to be making decisions on behalf of the company instead of just for their functional area. And they're part of the team. And that's, that's, um, that's, that's hard for some people to understand. It's hard because they've never behaved that way in, inside a company. And this is where the role of the CMT manager in terms of leading the team. And this is also where preparation of the way the CMT operates is important. Um, I'm a great believer in checklists. So you should have a checklist of the things you're going to talk about. And at the end of this crisis, you will have extended that checklist and there'll be other things you need to talk about. But you put this checklist up and you go through these things point by point. If it's irrelevant, you, you don't you say it's irrelevant. But, you know, you say, what's the issue? What should we do about it? What are we going to do about it? And who's going to do it? And you assign responsibility to individual points. But that's just, that's a framework to make sure that the CMT doesn't just get together and they say, everybody looks at each other and say, yeah, what should we talk about? What do we do? Put <laughs> a checklist and say, right, item number one, who's dealing with um, security of uh, um, employees' IT equipment, for example? Okay. Who is dealing with um the press, who is dealing with the local authorities, who is, etc. And you go through each, each of these things and then things will come up that you haven't got on the checklist and you modify a checklist. 
And that puts some structure into what potentially could just be, let's sit around a table and pack, which happens. Yeah. And um, on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment already. Time already. to rise, doesn't it? <laughs> we're talking with Stuart Hotchkiss uh, about crisis measures today. <laughs> and we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Turn every weekend into a fun storytime adventure with Jesse Jameson and Friends. Each week, Jesse brings on a new guest with a great real-life story to share. And he tests the limits of some of his friends' storytelling abilities with fun questions and outrageous comments. If you have a story worth telling, you can be a part of the show, too. Listen to Jesse Jameson and Friends every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's info at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. Today we are talking with Stuart Hotchkiss about crisis management. Stuart, uh, lots of great information about uh, crisis management teams, roles, and responsibilities in our last segment. Um, now, uh, one of the other things we had on our agenda here is situation reporting. What did you mean by that? And what is that? It's apparently um, a military term, which is, uh, you know, which, which uh, we use in, in crisis management. Um, I think people should look at situation reporting not as a mechanism whereby you're going to be telling somebody something uh, and it's, it's a boring exercise of filling in paperwork and so on and so forth situation report. View a situation report as a mechanism of getting resources. Okay? So you write a situation report to your senior management, the intent being to say, this is what's going on. These are the issues I'm facing. Um, this is what I want from you. I'm not sending you this report because I like you. I'm sending you this report because I want something from you. And you need you want something from me in return. What you want from me is that the crisis is managed properly. You want to make sure that day by day I'm kept up to date. I'm your senior manager. Um, so it's a, it's a fair exchange. Uh, I will say, you do this for me, and I'll do this for you. Um, and And... and People tend to sort of look at situation reports as just a reporting mechanism, and they don't take the final step of saying, as I think they probably would in military terms, you know, we're going to do the following, but we need more resources. So you should you should deal with a situation report and, and mentally prepare yourself for the situation report. It is it's for that reason. And and another way of looking at it is, as well, I mean, why would you write a senior situation report? if it's not being sent to a senior management team. Well, a situation report can also be useful to send to your financiers. Okay? It can also be useful to send to the government. So, for example, um, you have a duty of care to employees. Well, make sure that your situation report covers what you're doing for employees, and then your situation report is something which you can use to demonstrate um, due care intention and, and, and uh, 
um, a duty of care towards employees. Write a situation report that says, this is what we're doing, this is the situation, it's under control. So when you go to the bank to get a credit line, the guy knows that this is not just a cry out of nowhere, this is a structured request based upon real information. So you say, yeah, I need a credit, I need a, a credit extension, this is what I'm doing. Okay, so the situation report, um, you either can look at it as an administrative pain in the butt, or you can look at it as an incredible tool to help you manage the crisis. So look at it as a tool. Does every member of the crisis management team do that, or is the situation just one, just one from the crisis? And usually, a situation report would be written by somebody assigned by the CMT manager. So it would be written by a coordinator, and he gathers information about where we're standing, and he will, you know discuss the content of the situation report with the people in, in the meeting and say, okay, this is where we're at, this is what we're doing, this is the next step, okay, that's the situation report for today. Okay? Can so, that be used later on for lessons learned? Excuse me, say that again. Can that be used later on for lessons learned? Yes, obviously, obviously, yes. At the, end, at the, at the very end of the course, it's going to be a, lessons learned is, is a critical thing to do for certain. Um, and yes, it will be used for that. Now, you mentioned earlier training, which is, uh, which is something I, uh, I, I'm very sensitive about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like business continuity management training. Um, quite frankly, I'm not interested if somebody understands business continuity management or not. Okay? It's, it's, they're not there to understand continuity management. Training is there so that they can understand what they have to do. Crisis management training is exactly the same thing. Avoid, as people do, things like awareness, and let's have a meeting to discuss and tell people you know, what, what a crisis is and all that sort of stuff. Quite frankly, it's a waste of time. All you need from somebody in, in crisis management training is that this is your role and this is what you have to do. This is what we're going to do. We're going to have a CMT. These are the roles and responsibilities of people. This is where we're going to handle things. This is the process we're going to follow. This is the sort of checklist, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what you do. Okay? Now, you may agree or disagree, but I don't care because the CMT has decided this is what you're going to do. And, and one thing that's good in a, in a crisis management team training, because you need to train a team, mm -hmm. um, is... You build a scenario, you say what, uh, what is going to happen, and you brought all the members of the CMT together. And when you start the training, the first thing you say is you point to the facilities manager who's in the meeting, they say, well, okay, you're not here. What happens? Now his reaction should be, ah, well, I will pass uh, my responsibilities to my uh, second, He's on the, this is his name, this is his phone number, and during the training, you should call the second. And you should say, oh, good morning, Mr. Second. You are standing in for the facilities manager today. And you can bet your life, the guy's going to say, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. first, that's the first time, first time I've heard of it. Okay? <laughs> so you can make these, uh, these CMT training um, very, very effective using that, that sort of simple, simple trick. Because everybody, a crisis, if we don't have crises at nine o'clock in the morning, they occur at two o'clock in the morning or a weekend. And so if somebody's in a CMT, um, the crisis management team manager should actually test this occasionally on Sunday morning at half past seven. He calls the guy from sales and says, uh, by the way, we've got a problem. Can you be on the phone in 10 minutes? Right, and if the guy's not there, then he's you know he, he tries the next number on the list when this should all be documented, and you'll soon find out, and as we all know, that most CMTs don't work. They don't work because people don't know what they're meant to do, and they're not ready, and they don't think the crises happen at half past seven on Sunday morning, but they do, and so on and so forth. So there's lots of tricks whereby people will get the message that I don't. 
care whether you understand or you don't understand what the CMT is going to do or how we manage the crisis. Your role is the following, and that's what you've got to do. So training should focus not on awareness, but it should focus on making sure that people know what they have to do and what is expected of them. Nothing more and certainly nothing less. What happens if you find out that somebody or, uh, yeah, I'll just say that, somebody on the CMT isn't quite the right person to be there? I, I've run into a situation of that many years ago where, you know, you could actually see it in, in the room. People looked around and said, this isn't the right person to be representing that group, even though they were, you know. The boss of the group. Yeah, you know, they, they were the boss, but they weren't the right person to be there. Somebody, the CMT manager's got to go along and say, listen, John, you're not the right guy. Now. This, is the, this is the way I expect you to behave. And if you don't, can't behave that way, then you probably shouldn't have the job you've got anyway. It, you know, it's going to be dead straightforward to, to a person like that. And, and most people will rise to the challenge. But ignore it, and one day it'll come back and bite you. So tell them straight away. How do you deal with um, the, the gaps and the, the issues that arise during a, a crisis or even during a test? Because uh, sometimes uh, it's a really delicate situation to try and report that we had a gap here and we couldn't actually uh, address XYZ situation. You know, how do you go about walking that minefield, that political minefield of saying, you know, you guys did terrible. <laughs> you know, I think that you just said it. Somebody's got to say that. Somebody's got to say it to them. I mean, yes, you could have somebody who's not pulling their weight. You could have uh, purely an identified gap or who, who is actually responsible. We don't actually have a functional manager who deals with that particular area. But we're a CMT now. So the, the issue is put onto the CMT notes. This is the issue. This is what we should do about it. This is who we're going to do it. Elected by the CMT, and this is when this is the the result. So just a you know very simple bit of discipline, um, and of course you know people have got to accept that CMTs will never be perfect. They'll make mistakes. Um, the checklists won't be up to date. There'll be things you'll do wrong. Fine. The next time maybe not. But if you don't document these things, you're not straightforward about it, you don't have a post-mortem at the end of the crisis, then you're kidding yourself, and it's just going to happen again. So it is possible to get better and better and better, very, very simply, just by being straightforward and clear. So you kind of have to, I don't want to say be brutal, but you've got to be open and honest and say, you've got to point out the gaps. Absolutely, you've got to be up. It's, uh, and, and you've also got to to um, uh, follow a rule which I learned from Intel years and years and years ago, which is called disagree and commit. So you disagree with the decision, but you commit to do it anyway. And we were always told you can disagree all you like, but you've got to commit. And most employees in the early days of, of Intel would do things they didn't agree with, but they would do them with 100% effort. And that's what you need from a CMT, disagree and commit. Yes, I am going to take the action to do something which is outside of my area of expertise. Um, I'm not good at it, but I'm going to do my best and I'm going to document what I do. And if I screw up, I screw up. Fine. Um, knowing that there will be no repercussions because on Monday when the crisis is over and the CMTs, I'm finished. I'm back to my day job. Right. So... Um, it's, it's managing crisis is simple, and, and as I say, if you if you want examples of how not to do it, well, I can point you to any number of countries that made such a hash of this uh, virus crisis. Mm -hmm. It's an embarrassment, and I'm English, so you can get the um, get who I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I can. I can it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Anyway, okay. Well, <laughs> we we only have two and a half minutes left. Do you have any final thoughts on crisis management? Yeah, if you don't define a crisis to start with, you're going to fall into a situation where either everything is a crisis or nothing's a crisis, right? 
the nothing's a crisis is just as bad as everything's a crisis. Everything is a crisis that you always got somebody shouting, cry wolf, um, oh, we need to do this, we need to have a CMT for this, a CMT for that, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's bad. But um, uh, when nothing is a crisis, that's, that's, that's probably worse. Um, and uh, it starts from defining what a crisis is and understanding that uh, you and I can have different views of what a crisis is. The other thing as well is that people need to understand that they, they, the role of the organization changes when they become a member of the CMT. And a lot of people have a lot of trouble understanding that they are no longer just the sales manager. They are a senior manager of the company dealing with a situation which affects everybody. And that's that's not easy for some people to, to understand. Um, and then the last thing I would say is that if you don't get your policy right and uh, you don't make it absolutely crystal clear who's going to do what, especially in communications, you're digging yourself a hole. It's simple as that. And the more you, you the longer it goes on, the more you will dig a hole. <laughs> You're doing it before you begin with no, if you don't have a policy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a, and a clear policy, I'd say, excluding <laughs> words like should, could, maybe, guidelines, etc., etc. All those words should be deleted immediately. It should say clearly what you're going to do, when, how you're going to do it, who's going to do it. That's it. And who it applies to. Uh, I'm sure many listeners right now probably have a whole bunch of those in their <laughs> business continuity plans, crisis management plans, policies, you know, uh, evacuation plans, they shoulds and maybes and all these and that. But uh, Stuart, thank you very much for your time talking about crisis management. I do appreciate it. Sure. This is your second uh, time here. So uh, if you think of something else you'd like to talk about, please feel free. Uh, you've got an open door to come back and talk again. You know. Okay. Thanks, Alec. I hope it was useful. <laughs> Great. Oh, it was. I'm sure lots of people around the globe, you know, will uh, uh, hopefully go back and uh, hit the delete button on all those shoulds, especially. I think that's a really key piece because I see it everywhere. You know, and I even hear it, you know, in our daily life. Well, that should, you know, will or won't, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And to everybody listening uh, or watching, in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.